welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. Hey guys, Joe Mendoza here in sunny San Diego. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks for subscribing. Guys, today I'm really, really, really excited because we have Beth Azor, also known as a canvassing queen here. She is a founder, owner of Azor Advisory Services. It's a leading commercial real estate advisory and investment firm based in Southeast Florida. As its principal, Beth currently owns and manages, check this out, six, six shopping centers. Now folks, you've seen my show. This is a first that we have that's talking about shopping centers. So pay close, close attention to this. She's been involved with the ICSC. Uh, she's been very, very involved with some top, top companies, Bricksmore, Phillips Edison, um, Urban Edge. Hopefully I didn't mispronounce any of these, but welcome to the show, Beth Azor. How are you? Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. If there's anything I missed, please add it right now. Do you want to tell a little bit about yourself, something I missed? Uh, you know, I know that you've got a lot of uh, real estate brokers and uh, residential investors and owners. Uh, I would share with you, just to give some context, the six centers that I own in Southeast Florida value about $80 million. So that just gives, you know, I don't own, you know, a billion dollars of real estate and I don't own a few hundred thousand. So they're all multi-tenanted strip centers. One is a grocery anchored center. That's the largest one I have. That's 75,000 square feet. But Joe, my smallest is 11,000 square feet. And that's a Starbucks anchored center with five other tenants. So that can give your audience a little bit of a perspective. Wow, that gave me some perspective too. So thank you so much. 75,000, 80 million. Okay, guys those aren't small potatoes okay so congratulations beth i'm really really excited to have you on the show myself because i'm going to go deep in some of the questions i'm personally interested in because this is definitely one of my turn-ons for sure is commercial real estate and shopping centers wow this is exciting um now these shopping centers i notice one thing and this is a really really big clue guys she didn't say that they were single tenant occupied. All of them are multi, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow, that's great. So I think I watched one of your shows where it was your broker that got you into investing? Yes, he, he, he asked me to invest uh, on this one deal and I said, no, I didn't have any money. And then he asked me to invest on another deal. And I said, no, I don't have any money. And the third time he, he and I, I was making, I was in my late, tw 20s, early 30s. That was a long time ago, Joe. I'm 59 today. But um, I was making, you know, probably $80,000, $90,000, $100,000. And the third time he asked me, I said, no, I don't have any money. He literally took me by the ear <laughs> or the collar and he dragged me down to our local bank and he co-signed a $50,000 note for me to invest in that particular shopping center, which, you know, how phenomenal is that right and from the rest was history after that uh we ended up refining six months later on that deal i was able to pay the bank back but i realized at that point out of every commission i needed to put money away you know stop going to hawaii and stop buying the jaguars like that was stupid and you know but i was in my late 
20s, early 30s, and I thought, you know, making a lot of money, let me, you know, let me uh, bear the fruits of my labor. But I realized he taught me the lesson that you have to invest and reinvest. So uh, that was the start of it, my investing career. And that was way back in 1992. I was 32 years old. Wow. Now that first investment, what was it again? So it was a multi-tenant strip center in Miami. Uh, we probably had about 30 tenants. I think we bought it at about 8 million, I think was the number. And uh, at the time, we, it, we paid 125 uh, a square foot. So maybe it was more, maybe it was, it was more like 12, 12 million. We ended up selling it for almost a hundred million dollars 30 years later. Wow, <laughs> that's a great yeah. ROI. <laughs> it was a uh, spectacular deal, spectacular deal. Yeah. Now, were, were you a um, part of the syndication, a joint venture? What kind of arrangement was it? I was a limited partner in the syndication. He was the GP, the general partner, and I was you know, the limited, but I, I was very happy that he, right, he set the bar and he led the way and he even co-signed, right, the note to where, and then again, we paid back the bank six months later, so there was nothing, there was no risk on his part. Um, I was the leasing agent of that uh, shopping center. And when we were looking to buy it, you know, he had said, go down and check out this center down in Miami. Uh, we're thinking about buying it. What rents do you think you can get? And I um, came back knowing nothing about the deal. And I said, I think we could get like 30 bucks. And he says, brilliant, because I guess they were getting 18 at the time. And not only did we get 30, but over the years, I think up until by the time we sold it, we were getting in the 60s and wow. in per square foot rent. So, so that was definitely, um, you know, I, I had a lot to do with raising the value. And I think he, as a boss and a mentor, said, if she's got a little skin in the game, you know, maybe that even motivates her more. Wow, Beth, that's incredible. Now, my audience, as I mentioned earlier, is mixed, okay? So 8 million, even today, would seem such like a large, large number. Why did you have some pushback and how did you get over it? Um, you mean from, from like the market? They, they thought we overpaid. I think back then the shopping centers were probably going for maybe less than $100 a square foot. In fact, they wrote us up in the Miami Herald. I think we, we paid the highest per square foot on any deal that had happened in years. But we knew, uh, we knew the demographics in the area were very high. We knew that there was a limited supply. We knew that there was a high demand. So, you know, when all of those things line up, Joe, you know, just as in residential, right? So if you know that you are buying in an area where there's great schools and not a lot of supply and huge demand, you, you I think, can afford to overpay a little bit if you have done your due diligence and you think that all your ducks are in a row. And in this case, that was clearly the case. Got it, got it. So what I was referring to was when you were getting started, there was a little hesitancy, which most investors are hesitant. Uh, what kind of got you over that, that well, hurdle? So I wasn't hesitant. I just was broke. Oh, got I a big difference. <laughs> absolutely. There was no hesitation on my part, but I had spent all my money. I was foolish with my uh, money. I had bought the Jaguar. We had gone, My husband and I had gone to Hawaii. You know, the extra 50000 
you know, and again, if I was making a hundred at the time, I probably didn't have an extra 50 because I was living large. Okay. Wow. So, so that was, the, that was the situation. There was no hesitation. It was just that I was being silly with my money. Okay. Well, I'm glad you clarified that because man, the listeners in my audience, as I mentioned, is a lot of residential and residential agents are fear listening to this. Okay. Enough of that stupid spending, spending on doodad, spending on the Jaguar. I learned the hard way myself. Okay, so thanks for clarifying, Beth. Um, and you know, okay. and, and not only that, Joe, because think about it, we are the ones that are in the know. Like I, I tell my leasing agents this all the time. There are people out there buying real estate, whether it's residential, apartments, single family, shopping centers, industrial. Then the people in the ground, on the ground, like your residential agents or like me, I was a leasing agent, we know what potential values are almost better than the investors, right? They look to us. And for us, kind of what I used to say, like the peons to not be in the game is foolish because when, when those investors are doing their due diligence, when your investors are doing due diligence on apartment complexes, who do they call for information? The leasing agents, right? Nice. But the leasing agents don't always get an opportunity to invest nor do they make the money, right? So that's why I tell, when I start, when I've hired lots and lots and lots of young people over my career. And one of the first lessons I say is out of every commission, 10% needs to go in a little kitty so that when you have an opportunity to invest, you have some money to do so. Great words of wisdom, guys, take note, take note, okay? Um, now, did you say all your investments are local? Yeah, so all my, my six centers are all within 10 minutes of my house. And what's the reason for that? Uh, I'm a control freak. And <laughs> uh, I know my market. So the first uh, property I bought in my town, my town that I live in is called Davy. And the first one I bought was, I was reading an article in a newspaper where I learned that the local college, Nova Southeastern, was buying the golf course across the street. And I thought, the college is buying the golf course. And I said, I need to start buying real estate up and down that thoroughfare. And I now own three centers right there, like right between the golf course and the college. And, you know, and the golf course, and the, and the college is definitely going to expand into the golf course. And people think, you know, how did Beth know that ahead of time? I was just reading the newspaper and being in the know in my community and then thought ahead, well, why would the college be buying the golf course? Like, why is that? It's not like they have a good golf team. So, um, so when you live in your market and you are reading about things happening in your market, to be thinking ahead, you know, two and two make 10. And, you know, there were a lot of other investors that lived in my town and read that story, but no one like was thinking ahead and acting on it. So by, by being in my market, I, I know market rents, I know uh, occupancy, I know, uh, I know absorption, right? I know what the demand is because I live in it. So when things come available or even before, you know, I knock on friends' doors all the time and say, are you interested in selling? Because I see things that, because I, I'm there every day, I live it. I, 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 
my tenants are the local diner, the bagel shop, the barbecue restaurant, the hair salon, the barber shop. So I'm in and out of those stores. I'm hearing things that investors from outside of the market couldn't compete with me. Like, That's awesome. Impossible. That's Oh yeah, I totally agree with being the boots on the ground. You get the latest and greatest. Right. Now you said something interesting that caught my attention. I'm sure maybe the audience were, was going like, what? Two plus, ten, two plus two equals 10. Explain a little bit more because I get it, but please explain sure. to the audience. So there is a situation where there was a building in my town in Davie on that street that I was speaking about. And I was in, I have a charity that I run and I was at the town council meeting where I was going to plead to the town council to give my charity some grant money. Well, while I'm there, they outlaw 24 months from now, strip clubs in my mm. town. So as a resident and a single mother of two young men, I'm happy with that decision. But I'm not really thinking about that, Joe, because I immediately think about the strip club that's on Main and Main on the strip where I own my other two properties. And I'm right away looking up on the tax rolls who owns that strip club building because I'm calling them the next morning. So I call them the next morning and it's this 80-year-old couple in Jacksonville, five hours north of our location. I said, did you hear about the outlawing of strip clubs in two years on your site? And they're like, no. I sent them the minutes of the meeting and I started lobbying for, with them that I want to buy your building. I want to buy your building. I want to buy your building. Uh, there was an empty Kmart next to this lot. And to make a long story short, I ended up getting the building, buying the building, after they closed, all my competition came swooping down. But because I had been working these people for two years, they sold to me. And that Kmart became a Whole Foods. And the reason we were able to buy it at a little higher price than the, my competition was because I knew the leasing agent across the street. And I was able to get information from them because of my relationship about renewals, rent numbers that tenants were renewing at. And because I had that inside information because of re building relationships over many years, I knew what I could pro forma for this lot, where again, the competition had no idea. Everyone th thought I knew the Whole Foods was coming. I had no idea, but two plus two equals 10. I'm at the council meeting, none of my commission None of my competition is there. Whole Foods is coming. We didn't know that. My relationship with my friend across the street to get intel, brilliant. So I, it was just, if you're in the know, you have relationships, you're in at the right place at the right time, you work the relationships, two plus two equals 10. So people told me, again, on that one, we paid 3.4 and they said, you overpaid and our NOI, net operating income of that 11,000 square foot, six tenant property is over $750,000. I don't think we overpaid on that. What do you think, Joe? <laughs> That's a great return. Good job. So, but again, had I not been at the council meeting, had I not worked it for two years, making friends with the 80 year old couple, going to Jacksonville, having tea in their living room, knowing my friend across the street to get information that none of my competition had, it all, it all, 
plays in, it's working all of the time. It's just working and working and working and working, you know, for the greater good. And then sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. We got lucky in that situation. That's fantastic, Beth. You sound like you have a formula for buying these shopping centers. What's your formula? I like shopping centers that are what we would call parallel to the street. So I don't like shopping centers that are 100 feet back with corners, right? Because corners are hard to lease. So I want something that's flush to the street. I want something in very high trafficked streets. Our, our street that we have three centers on ha have over 70,000 cars a day. I want, I like when it's very high income because that's, that uh, offers disposable income. That means people eat out a lot. They shop, they spend money, they buy the latest iPhones. I want high income areas. That's what I like. And I love when there isn't a lot of supply. You know, if one side of the street is all residential, that's a beautiful thing. So I'm not gonna buy, people will call me all the time and say, oh, you should buy this strip center. It's only 30 bucks a square foot. And then I'll, and then I, if I happen to know about the area or maybe I say, oh, well, that's interesting. Let me go drive and check it out. And there's 43 shopping centers that have vacancies of 50% or more. I'm not interested in that. I want very high occupancy. I love to buy centers that are 100% leased because I believe that the owner, that the rents are too low. Because, I agree. Yeah. So, I, so high income, I, you know, I, I've known for overpaying a little bit, but there's always like there's an ulterior motive. I think that I can buy the center that's, that the tenants are paying $18 because I think I can eventually get them to 30. Got it, got it. You mentioned traffic. Uh, what kind of traffic count is, are you looking for uh, typically? So uh, this, the street that we have the three on, um, it's over 70. I think 40 or 50, it, anything below 40, it probably wouldn't be interested. 40 to 50,000 cars. Right. Right. Okay. Now how about parking space? Is there a ratio you look for? As many as possible uh, to do a Panera deal. Once I spent $14,000 to add 10 spaces. So uh, parking is crucially important, especially to restaurants. So uh, the more that you can get the better I've lobbied the department of transportation to get extra parking We've made, uh, you know, we've done everything to add parking. I once, uh, in a situation where I had a, a, a store that sold football apparel, during football season, I rented an office building parking lot on the weekends so that my tenant could have extra parking. So wow. I've, I've tried to be creative with parking. We, we have a center now where we have three restaurants and we're adjacent to an auto zone, which is a freestanding auto zone, and they're overparked. They have about 50 extra spaces. And I've gone to the AutoZone and said, can I pay for your rear parking lot for my employees to open up spaces for our customers? Fantastic. Now, I notice you do coach nationwide. Now, are there other formulas or secret sauces that the audience should know about if they're looking to get into retail, looking to perhaps look at their, set up their buy criteria? Um, I think supply and demand is the most important. So I think people get stuck on, and I, and investors call me all the time. Can you do me a favor? If I send you this package, what do you think? I think it's a great deal. I can buy it for under replacement cost. Uh, and, and the first question I ask is what is the market? 
what's supply in the market because it doesn't matter if you can buy it for 30 bucks a square foot and it would take a hundred to replace it if you have 20 centers around you that are empty. So really, really focus so much on what availability is in the marketplace because the more availability is in the marketplace, that person's going to undercut you on rent every time. So you just, you know, you're, you would be fighting, you know, an uphill battle every day. So that is probably the first thing. And, and I would say I probably get three to four calls every couple of weeks from an investor who I don't know is in South Florida looking at real estate. You know, someone gave them my name. I'm happy to, you know, take five or 10 minutes. And then they'll say, well, we're looking in this area. And I just say, call me back when you tell me how many centers are in the area and what their occupancy is. And if it's under 80%, don't call me back because I'm going to tell you not to buy it. Got it. Got it. Excellent formula. Now, this, the shopping centers that you have, are they syndications, JVs, individual? How, how are you owning most of I, them? I have partners in all of them. They're okay. all uh, syndications where I'm the general and we have limited partners. Uh, I have some where I've brought young people in. Like, you know, most of the... Most of the uh, minimum investment is about 50 or 100, except for I will bring in young leasing agents that are in like rookies, maybe five years into the business, seven years, and I'll let them come in for five grand. And, you know, they have to sign waivers about, you know, being unaccredited, et cetera. But um, I really want to help people like I was helped. But, but to, and I have some properties that I have 20 partners and I have uh, one that I have just one partner. So it just depends on the deal. So with students, you're allowing them to come in with a small- They're not students. They're, they're in the business. But, okay. and they're like leasing agents, but they're not, they're kind of like I was when my boss gave me the leg up. Got it. So they do have some background, some experience. Yes. Got yeah. it. Good, 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 good. That's exciting. Now, um, what are some of the pros getting into commercial centers versus some of the other biggest challenges? Uh, well, the pros are it's fun because, you know, people can really relate to shopping, right? People can understand, you know, where there's a barber shop, he pays rent, he has customers versus industrial or, and I guess people relate to multifamily renting, but um, I think it's kind of fun, you know, and I, I always say, I don't want to invest with anything with a bed in it because I've had to evict quite a few people in my 35 year career and I really never want to evict a family. So that people say, what do you invest in? Nothing with a bed in it. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> evict anyone out of their beds. So um, for me, that's, that's kind of the path I took. I've had opportunity in the past to invest in office buildings. The problem that I find with offices is when a tenant moves out, you are lot, you are um, required 95% of the time to recarpet, repaint, and sometimes move walls. In retail, when someone moves out, you release the space as is, where is. Now, you may just, if, you, if, you, if it was a Panera and now you want it to be a Starbucks, the owner can decide to invest fit up dollars or tenant improvement money. But um, nine times out of 10, a tenant moves out, someone moves in, and it's up to them. That, you know, you don't carpet and repaint and do all of that stuff. So it's yeah. true. It's a true triple net, you know, as is deal. That's definitely one of the things I love about commercial real estate is tenant improvements. 
You know, you don't have to worry about that like you would do in multifamily. Now let's turn turn it up a little bit. Um, does the Amazon thing scare you on centers? So up until COVID-19, uh, let me ask you a question, Joe. Sure, okay, I'm going to turn the tables on you. Okay. Uh, of, if there were $5.4 trillion in retail sales in 2019, what percentage do you think was online sales? If there was 5.4, I would say... It seems like a big number to most, but I'm guessing it's probably 30%. Okay, you ready? You're sitting down, right? Seven. Seven percent. And you're not old enough to remember catalogs. I, I actually am. <laughs> okay, okay. So Sears, Penny, Spiegel catalogs. I'm yes. sure there's some of your listeners that will remember Spiegel catalogs. Okay. And catalogs were the rave they were 10% of retail. So 7%. 7%. So now that I will tell you that year over year, it, it, it's, it's vastly increasing. Now, again, right. I, I'll discuss post-COVID, but so pre-COVID, we had a lot of, you know, runway to go before okay. it really disrupted. It, I'm not saying it didn't disrupt, it disrupts. Um, the, here's the challenge, though. So we've been able to counteract that with experiences. Okay, I call it the the four F words. F I'll, I'll be clean: food, <laughs> okay. food, fun, fitness, and and go with me here: physicians. Mm. So food, restaurants, fun. You know, axe throwing, escape rooms, bounce houses trampoline places, uh, physicians, obviously urgent cares and fitness, boutique fitness, pure bar, uh, cycle places, you know, gyms, boutique fitness, big gyms. So retail was saved by the four F words. Now, post COVID, 110,000 restaurants are estimated to never reopen, breaks our hearts. Fitness, major, major upheaval is gonna happen in fitness. You know, bounce houses, who's going to take their kid to a bounce house place, you know, again, and um, food, fun, fitness, physicians will still be around. So three of the four F words are going to be severely impacted post COVID-19. And I don't have my crystal ball here with me. Um, and even if I did, I don't even know what to tell you. I'm, I'm busy. I'm in it. And like just right before this call, I was talking to our local town. And I was talking to my Blaze Pizza, my ice cream guy, and my Starbucks, where I'm going to take a row of parking in front of their spaces, and we're going to put, we're going to block it off, and we're going to put outdoor seating out there because when they do reopen up, reopen us, we know that they're going to start with 25% in in room dining. So what most property owners are doing now is trying to get the towns to agree to let us expand outdoor dining so we can get these tenants back on a healthy path. But, uh, but for sure, retail is going to be impacted significantly. I'm hoping that I'm defense, I have a good defense in the fact that I have picked areas with low supply, high demand, high income, right? And, and, and versus, you know, I've got one tenant out of 59 that, have to, that has told me she's not reopening. 
I have friends that have centers and markets that have heard that 20 tenants are not reopening. Got it. Got it. If you saw a property that was like 50% vacant, you were talking about 100%. You like those. You have a baby boomer. He's been self-managing. It's a retail shopping center, 50% vacant. What would you do in that scenario? I, I, I probably wouldn't look at it too hard because there's a problem. Even if he self-managed it, you know, if it was a good market, tenants would want to be there, right? So I, I, I think that anything 50% vacant is, unless it was one tenant that moved out, right? Like a 50,000 square foot supermarket that moved out. Um, but I, I probably, that would not be an example of a successful, uh, profitable market for me. So I probably wouldn't take a hard look at it. Got it. Got it. Now, people are watching YouTube. They're learning, finding a mentor. That's pretty obvious about getting started. Are there any other tips to get started? Like right away, you've got a commercial leasing agent out there. They want to get into it. Aside from finding a mentor, which is obvious, listening to YouTube or learning, going to a, a uh, CCIM event or ICSC, what are some other tips to get them running off the ground, out of the gates, basically? I think they need to try to get hired by a company that owns shopping centers or, or industrial or office buildings. So let's say they want to get into commercial. Uh, can, they get, can they start as a part-time property manager? right? Or can they start as a part-time admin person or a full-time admin person? Uh, or if they could get into a training program of any company, be an intern. You know, I, I had someone that was um, well, a lawyer who wanted to get into, into retail leasing and a uh, 32-year-old young man, and he hates the law. He's been, you know, he's been a lawyer for six or eight years. And I said, well, you know, offer to go work for free you know, at, at this, you know, at a company of your choice. He's like, well, I'm a lawyer. I go, I know, but you want to be a leasing agent. You, know, you got to start from the ground up. I mean, if you want to make a mid-year or midlife career change, you know, do see if you can do part-time law and part-time leasing, but it's hard to break into commercial real estate. You have to figure out a way to get in there and then learn from observing the rock stars in the firm. And then there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I have 150 videos on YouTube that people could watch and learn. And there are classes, you know, I have classes. There's a lot of people that have classes that you could put on your resume that when you're trying to get the job, look, I took Beth's class or I took this guy's class or I've, you know, there's so many things that you can say I'm, in my spare time, this is what I've done to try to you know, earn my way in because it's, it's hard to get in. It's hard to get in. And, and, but what I would recommend is try to get in with a company that owns properties because when you work for a broker, a lot of times they say, well, go get a listing, right? It's hard to go get listings. So if you, if you worked for a firm that owns 50 shopping centers, there's always something to do. There's marketing positions, property manager positions, lease admin positions, because they own 50 or 100 shopping centers. So work for someone who owns the centers. They're not going to get fired, but you could go work for a broker and in 30 days they lose the listing. And that, now what? So, so try to go work for, for I, you know, again, if they're right out of school, do Uber at night, if that's still going to be a thing, who knows, go be a bartender, 
who knows about that, but go get a job, a side hustle where you're making some dough, making some money, and then offer to go work a couple of days for free at the firm that owns a bunch of properties, because that's where you're going to learn and eventually, you know, grow through the company. That's a great, great tip. Now, you mentioned something about the attorney working part-time as an attorney, part-time as a leasing agent. Do, are there companies out there? Because I know like with residential real estate, they totally discourage it. They're like, hey, save up some money and jump right in. You cannot be a part-time agent, but you're saying you could be a part-time leasing agent. I think you could be a part-time something. You know, I, it all depends on how, on how enthusiastic, how charming, you know, you could do, like if, if someone came to me right now, right? I am in the middle of 59 lease amendments, truly. Like we're in hell right now. So if a, a, an attorney came to me and said, hey, I'm 32, I've been doing contract law. I hate it. I really wanted to get into commercial investment. I've saved some money. I don't have enough to invest now, but I love what you're doing. I've, I see what you've bought. Is there anything I can do? Can I help in any way? I, I, you know, I've, I've talked to my law firm. They're willing to let me go from 60 hours a week to 40. I can give you another 10 hours a week at no, you don't have to pay me. Now I probably would have to pay them something because there's just the whole legal aspect of it. But if I can not pay $300 an hour to a lawyer and get some guy that wants to give me some sweat equity and help me with these amendments I'm working on every day and night, I would say, now that's very interesting. Let me see how we could work something out. And then, he, and then and in exchange, he wants to learn how to become a leasing agent. Absolutely, I would do something like that, but no one ever is creative like that. No one. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I love the fact you said about the drive because I actually started part-time myself and turned it into a full-time career where some brokerages discouraged me. And I said, no, I'm gonna be persistent. And I started part-time. I had my regular day job. And then at night, six to nine, I would do my real estate and it turned into my career. So that was great. I love the- And you know why broker, why bosses and brokers, they don't want part-timers is exactly what you said is because most part-timers are not gonna be like you, Joe. Okay, they're not. They're going to be distracted. They've got one little toe in. They're holding on to this over here. They're not, you know, so that's the thing is, is you're going to know right away if this part-timer has to, you know, I tell my interns all the time. I, I'm hiring right now four interns. I have one hired. And I've said to her, she came to me. She's actually working for a, a residential office Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 9.30 to 2.30, and she's getting paid. I don't pay my interns. So I said, great. So you can work for me Tuesday and Thursday. And if you want Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night for a couple hours, and she's like, you're not going to make me quit my other job. I'm like, heck no, you're making money over there. You know, just, you're just going to have to, if you want to, if you want me to remember you over the other three that are going to be part full time, you know, you're going to have to do double what you do on Tuesdays and Thursdays because they all are vying for a job at the end of the internship. They, one person gets hired. So I don't mind, but you got to hustle. It. Love it, love it. But I don't want her to lose the income. Of course, because that'll really set her back. Right. <laughs> okay, so you're known as a canvassing queen. Yeah, okay? you see, you see the hat? <laughs> I love it, love it. <laughs> Send me one. <laughs> um, some of these folks are listening, they still don't know Beth yet, but my God, you guys gotta check her out, all right? Um, so what are the first steps pre-COVID 
after COVID, were you door knocking or cold calling? What are you telling people to do canvassing? So canvassing, in, from my definition of can canvassing is door knocking. Calling, I call, I call that cold calling. So canvassing is space by space, store by store. Hi, are you happy with your location? Are you opening any more locations? I have centers in Fort Lauderdale. What are your expansion plans? That's canvassing. However, a couple of years ago, I found this, this new thing. It's called Facebook. <laughs> and you can DM direct message stores on Facebook. And I may, can, I usually try to canvas every Tuesday from, let's say, two to five pre COVID. So, and my goal is three hours or 30 business cards, whichever, whichever I get to first. And of the 30 business cards, I may get three people, okay? So that's about my odds that are, that are quasi-interested. On Facebook, you can do 10 to 12 every three hours. So by the end of the day, you could do 40 to 50. And Joe, of the 40 that you send out, 16 to 20 respond. And of the 16 that respond, six are positive. Wow. And you never have to leave your house. So during COVID, that's what we're doing. We are, we are brainstorming on what uses we shouldn't call and what uses we should call. So for example, bike stores are out of bikes. We're calling bike stores. We're calling gym equipment people, like they're in warehouses and we're saying, come be in our shopping centers. We'll give you free rent till 2021. Bring your barbells and just operate out of our empty shopping center space. Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, they're going to be booming when we're out of our houses and, and added the COVID-19. So there's lots of businesses we're actively prospecting through Facebook. The Facebook prospecting uh, ratios of success are through the roof because and the main reason is that the business owners are the ones that monitor the Facebook pages, not the gatekeepers. When you're canvassing in person, and I still like to do that because I like to see the store, like to see the customers, I like to see the merchandise and the product and the parking and the roof leaks. I, I get so much out of actually canvassing physically, but um, the, the Facebook DMs is far greater of an ROI of an investment of your time. Wow, what a great golden nugget there, Beth. Thanks for sharing that with the my audience. My pleasure, my pleasure. Have you guys tried, I'm sorry, not Facebook, LinkedIn? So LinkedIn we use for national retailers. So when I wanna reach out to Starbucks or Panera or Walmart, that's what we use LinkedIn for. And we get good results from that too because the, the real estate uh, manager for Walmart in South Florida gets 500 emails a day, but he doesn't get that many DMs on LinkedIn. So if he is an active LinkedIn um, participant, which many are not, shocking, um, if he is, and you can figure that out by just looking to see, you can figure that out, uh, then you'll get a much quicker response from him on LinkedIn. So that's what we use LinkedIn for. Got it. Thank you. Now, post-COVID, what are your thoughts on like areas maybe like Vegas? I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, there, I, I, 
I have to believe there's so much money behind Vegas, they're going to figure it out, right? Because there's a lot of money riding on it and, and behind it. So I've, I just have to believe they're going to put very stringent guidelines in place, you know, similar to Disney, you know, Disney World in Orlando, and I think in California, they shut down two weeks before anyone else, right? They were ahead of the game. Yes. They started in, they started installing thermometer sensors a month ago. So I'm, you know, I've got to believe that those hoteliers are going to get together and many of them own multiples and they're going to, they, they've, I've got to believe they've been meeting and figuring out how they're going to, you know, deal, no pun intended, with the situation they're in. It's, it's, it's very scary and very sad. I, I, I don't, again, no crystal ball here, but that is going to be very interesting to watch for sure. Got it. Got it. Now, any other asset classes that you invested in, or it was just a hundred percent shopping centers the whole time? So, so, you know, very interesting that you asked that. I am an, an investor with Cardone. Oh, okay. Yeah. So about a year ago, I invested some money with Grant Cardone for multifamily. Okay. I, you know, he's down here in Miami. I've met him many times. Uh, the, the properties he's invested in my market, I know them. There, some are near my shopping centers. So I have uh, some decent money with him and I'm glad I do at this point. So, uh, so I, I'm invested in that. Uh, I have in the past invested in some industrial and office, but I'm no longer in those. Uh, in those. Got it. Got it. Thanks for sharing. You are transparent. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are there any last comments, questions, concerns that you want to throw at the audience? Like a send it on a thread or anything like that? No, I, uh, you know, I just, I think that I'm a very optimistic person. I think that we are going to get through this. I think that uh, my success for sure over the 35 years that I've been involved is, has always been, I always say is based on my work ethic. I've always worked harder and longer than my peers. And I think that that's the only thing, you know, you can control, Joe. I mean, you can control your brainstorming. You can control how many hours you put in. You can control how, how many markets you've driven through, how many properties you've looked at to invest in. Uh, it's, it's a marathon, right? It's not a race. So um, work ethic is by far the one thing that no one can take away from you. A virus can't take it away. I, you know, I've, been work, I've worked harder in the last 35 days than I worked in the past five years. Um, and I know a lot of people that are you know, uh, touting how many Netflix shows they've binged on. And I, 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 <laughs> last night, I just tried last night to watch the new Billions show that started the new season and I fell asleep halfway through and I love that show, but I, I'm exhausted because I'm working my butt off. So I think that, uh, you know, America will survive and, and small business will survive and investors will survive, but we have to work. So there's, there's no, uh, there's no free, uh, what is it? There's no free lunch. There's a, yeah, there's no free lunch for sure. So um, I, my, uh, my receipts were from 2% uh, to 40 April 10th. And I got that up to 15 to 100. So on my six assets, 15% rent collections and up to 100% on one property. 
So uh, we're right in it, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. So I am every day getting a rent receipt uh, collection report and I'm calling tenants, I'm talking mom and pops off ledges, I'm yelling at nationals. So, so it's just work. And, and I think you just have to work and, and be creative and think, you know, what, you know, like what I said, I, I've been on the phone with, this, with the town and with my tenants. If we can't, if you can't drink coffee inside, then let's add some tables and chairs outside. Let's expand our outside seating. So just, we just all need to be thinking and be creative and hustling and, and then we'll be successful. Wow, I love that. I mean, four-letter word, guys, work. <laughs> That's awesome, Beth. That's awesome. Um, one last thing, because that did pop up in my mind as you were saying that. Do you have a particular morning or evening routine that kind of gets you high-profile, high-performance? So um, in, in October and November, I did the Miracle Morning. I don't know if you've heard of that Absolutely. book. Absolutely. Okay. So 68 days. Wow. Straight. And it didn't do anything for me. I know there are millions of people out there that, you know, it changed their life. And I have a book club and that was the book club of the month in November, in December. So I wanted to lead up and I wanted to talk on my book club about how this miracle morning changed my life. So I tried it. It, you know, didn't really impact me. So I'm happy I tried it. But so my mirror, my morning routine is, uh, I like to, I like a good, strong cup of coffee. I, I read three newspapers every day. I w watch about 20 minutes of CNBC and I do, and I pretty much do some social media postings in the morning. And then I go walk for about four or five miles. And then I come back, I shower and you know, the, and then I'm off to the races, but I really enjoy the coffee the three newspapers, uh, and I get a lot from reading, and I and they're hard cop, co they're hard copies of newspapers. You know, they got delivered on my, you know, driveway at five o'clock. So I get so much from reading the newspapers, and I do so much postings about content and articles and things I read and things I think about. So that's my routine, and um, and I love it, and I am I'm happy I tried the other thing, but. You know, it, he talks about silence, meditation, reading, which I read. I'm, a, I'm, a, I read so much, so I didn't really need to add that to my morning. Um, visualization and uh, uh, affirmation. I kind of just think I do that. That's just ingrained in me. And exercise. So exercise was definitely something I could have improved on, which I have, especially during COVID. Journaling. Um, just didn't, you know, I, and I, and again, he got all of that. He had interviewed, I guess, uh, the, the top 100 successful people ever. And those were the, com the culmination of the six things that they all did. So I probably will never be a billionaire because I don't do those six things, but I'm happy. I'm happy with my <laughs> six shopping centers. I'm sure people are wondering what were the three papers? Oh, uh, the daily business review, which is real estate and legal in South Florida the Miami Herald, which is my local, you know, business sports and, you know, local, and then the Wall Street Journal. WSJ. Okay. Yeah. Well, wow. That's awesome. Beth, this was very, very amazing. I took plenty of notes myself. Thank you so, so much for being part of the show. Thank you for having me, Joe. And, you know, thank you to your audience for listening. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Check out Beth. She's incredible. I've watched her videos myself. I've learned so much. I've learned so much today. So guys, thanks so much for subscribing. Thanks for watching.
Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services.